go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Want to make Mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May twelfth. Find tons of gifts from only thirty dollars at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. This is an historic time. This is going to be a multi-year fight. Why is it taking so long to get a screening test? It is not a hoax. It is real. Something that we have never experienced before. Wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. I mean, you're the scientist. You're going to have to tell me. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. I'm your host, Bill Nye, and this is the series that brings you the latest analysis and the science of this pandemic to keep you informed, prepared, and calm. We are still all in this together, my friends. Almost a million more Americans have been infected with the coronavirus since our last episode just two weeks ago, with another 15,000 fatalities. That's roughly 155,000 dead in the U.S. so far. Globally, more than 18 million people have been infected since this pandemic began, with almost 700,000 deaths. Now, this time last year, you were probably inundated with ads for back-to-school supplies and back-to-school deals. Back-to-school season looks a lot different this year in 2020. To help figure out how it looks different, and even if we can send our kids back to school this fall, I am joined by Arnie Duncan. He was Secretary of Education under President Obama and before that CEO of the Chicago Public Schools. He is now a managing partner at the Emerson Collective, an organization working for social change. Arnie Duncan, welcome to Science Rules. May I call you Arnie? That's my name, and such such a fan of yours. More importantly, my kids are huge fans. So just thank for everything you have done and continue to do. It's an honor to talk to you a little bit. Your kids are like 18, 16 years old. God, you are so good. They are 18 and 16. You're exactly right. Holy cow. Yeah. So you're... You work in education. You work in public schools for a long time. Are we going to be able to have public schools? Are we going to be able to physically open public schools this year? Everybody's wondering that. This is just such a brutal, such a difficult time. And this was a natural disaster that unfortunately has become a man-made catastrophe. And what we haven't done to pay attention to science, what we haven't done to have discipline, what we haven't done to keep people alive, to keep them safe, um, is absolutely endangering our chances of going back to school. So there are, there are three options, Bill, as we, as we start August. One is to go back totally physically. The second is to go back in a hybrid manner. And the third is to go back uh, only virtually. And let me strongly clear, everyone, teachers, parents, kids, everybody wants to go back to a physical school. But unfortunately, because we have not done what we need to do as a country in March and April and May and June and July, um, that's not going to be possible in in far too many communities. Uh, Schools aren't bubbles. They're not islands. They exist in communities. The best thing we can do to give our kids a chance to go to physical school is beat down this virus in our community, reduce the number of cases. 
um, but we have not done that. And so what I'm saying is that school needs to start. I don't want to delay the start of school. We've missed too much school due to the, the COVID slide in the spring and in the summer. Um, let's start the best way we know how. We can talk about how to open gradually, but we need to continue to feed children. We need to take care of their social and emotional needs. Um, and then we need to continue to educate them. And if we open carefully and thoughtfully, we can keep schools open. That's the goal. The goal is not to open. The goal is to keep schools open. And I just desperately hope we do that in a thoughtful, thoughtful manner. Um, the last thing we need to do is have some big opening. Three or four weeks from now, you and I are talking again. We've closed a whole bunch of schools. We've re-traumatized schools. We've further endangered their parents and teachers. That's not the route we need to go here, though. So what do we need to do? Kids need to, to sit with their arms outstretched and not touch fingertips. They need to wear masks. The desks need to be spread. What do we need to do? Well, well, I think, unfortunately, in most places, we can't even start that way. In many places, we have to start virtually because it is not safe to bring kids back into school yet. Um, when we do bring kids into school, how do we do it? Um, I would always start with our youngest children first, pre-K, K, first and second, whatever might be those children, obviously. Learning virtually is, is you know, very, very difficult, not impossible. I would start with special needs kids first. Um, I would start with kids who are most vulnerable at home where they may not be getting fed, where home may not be safe. And so we have to make some very, very tough choices as educators and adults about how to do that. Um, as they go back to physical school, to answer your question, unfortunately, everything is different. Yes, you have to physically distance from each other. Um, yes, you're gonna, probably going to have to have you know, plexiglass you know, between, uh, uh, between desks. Yes, kids have to wear masks. Yes, hallways will probably be one way. Um, yes, we have to think very differently about how we sanitize bathrooms. Um, yes, cafeterias are probably a thing of the past. And these are just- Wow, cafeteria is a thing of the past. Wow. For now, you know, you sort of, you know, grab and go and, you know, eat back at your desk. And it, it's just an extraordinarily difficult time that our, I'll just, you know, my personal opinion, everyone may not agree, just, the devastating lack of leadership at the federal level from the president um, has put us in this unbelievably compromised position uh, for our kids. Both my children are going to have to start virtually because their schools have made the decision that it's simply not safe to have, have uh, young people in class. So have you gotten involved in studies with how good is virtual education? You must have in this business of the flipped classroom. Yeah, and it's I mean, it's very mixed. I think for a small percent of kids, it's actually a better learning environment. Um, but for most kids, it, it's, it's substandard. What I worry most about, Bill, is not just you know the, the quality of the virtual education, but those kids who don't have access to computers and the internet. And what this pandemic has done is it's just slapped us in the face with the massive inequities um, in our society. So we're dealing with a couple different public health crises. <laughs> One is uh, the pandemic, and two is systemic racism. And so you have a set of kids, we you know, inner city, urban or remote on Native, Native American reservations who don't have access. And so that for me is a starting point. School districts have done some amazing things to, to deliver devices, to create, you know, hotspots and, and you know, Wi-Fi. Um, but that, How did that, what, what, can you give me an example of that? Yeah, I'll give you lots of examples. So here in Chicago, you know, given out over 100,000 devices, um, Boston, 30,000. San Antonio. What's what's the device like an iPad uh, style yeah, or iPad, tablet? iPad Chromebook. Um, San Antonio, where my good friend is the, is the superintendent, very poor district. They have forty nine thousand students. They've had to give out forty seven thousand devices. Um, to, you know, uh, buying hotspots in South Bend, Indiana. They've actually parked buses 
in poor communities that are Wi-Fi enabled to create those hotspots. So just for all the lack of leadership at the federal level, I'm seeing unbelievable creativity and innovation and you know, cooperation and thoughtfulness from those local leaders. I'm spending lots of time every day talking to them. What do you say to the curmudgeonly voter who says, well, that's the way it should be? Local people should be solving these problems instead of the federal government. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, unfortunately, this pandemic doesn't know city boundaries. It doesn't know state boundaries. Um, if nothing else, Bill, we're learning how inextricably linked we are here. We're seeing our common humanity. Um, what we need to a national threat is a national response. <laughs> When, when, well, really, an international response, because it doesn't, it doesn't seem to respect national borders either. Our unwillingness to test at scale, our unwillingness to do contract tracing, our fight about you know, masks, which have been you know, proven to be so effective, have led to that tens of thousands of additional deaths and hundreds of thousands, millions of people uh, sick. And it's just, for me, so heartbreaking that we have allowed that to happen um, here. The United States has 4% of the world's population and almost 25% of the world's deaths. Think about that. Oh, I think about it all the time, frankly. So what is the uh, Emerson Collective doing about all this, all these problems? Yeah, so we've been doing a, a couple things, and we're all trying to do everything we can as private citizens to try and, frankly, step into that leadership void from D.C. So when, when this hit, going back to March, we have done a weekly call with school districts and nonprofits around food distribution. Because there's a number of things that schools do. Schools deliver a lot more than, than education. Uh, schools have become social safety nets. And so we have an unbelievable network of uh, school districts, nonprofit partners that have delivered tens of millions of meals every single day, Bill, throughout this crisis. And we have to keep kids fed. And they're not just feeding kids. They're feeding their parents. They're feeding the community. We've had situations where something blows up and then another partner steps in to keep that, that food Flowing, so that's been remarkable. Uh, remarkable to see that happen. Now, that's one thing. It's one thing in the summer, a spring, when people can get around and it's warm and stuff. What's going to happen as it goes into the winter and flu season starts and all these other things? Yeah, well, it, so it's these are all the level of complexity here is extraordinary. We can get into it. So, school districts have done a number of different things. They've used the outside of the schools as food distribution centers. But they've also used school bus routes, and they have dropped both meals and homework to students along the bus routes and then taken back homework you know, the next day. We've had that kind of creativity. Uh, so as we try and go back in a hybrid situation and have kids on buses, it's hard to physically distance on buses. You know, you have to have less kids, you know, uh, 25% or you know, 40% of the kids you know, coming on a bus at a given time. So all this stuff is really hard, but people are thinking it through. One thing they're doing is let's say kids are coming to school. I'm just making you know, different scenarios, but two, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, what they'll do on Thursday is send that child home with food for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, send them back with, a, with sort of a basket of food to make it through those next couple of days. So that's the kind of creativity, again, and problem solving that we're seeing. Okay, a couple of questions. Let's say we open a school. Uh, are the kids going to stay arm distance apart? Are they going to wear masks all day? I think what about the teacher? Is he or she going to wear a mask all day? I, yes, I, I think they have to. And again, we, you know, what have we seen, Bill? And I'm not the you know, epidemiologist, I'm not the doctor, but we're seeing every state that is open too fast. What's happened? Cases have surged and have had to shut down. 
And the last thing I want with schools is schools to open and then have to shut down again. So we have to open carefully and cautiously and thoughtfully um, with all the kinds of precautions that we know keep people safe. And we know, you know, young children may or may not be asymptomatic. We know they can spread. We know 10-year-olds are as likely to spread as adults. Um, and let me just even go just the further level of complexity and, and so, so your, your viewers can really understand this. Let me give you a couple of different scenarios. Um, you might have a teacher who would love to teach but can't teach in a physical environment because of their underlying health conditions. And we're going to have to uh, allow them and empower them to teach in this virtual manner. Um, you might have a child who's perfectly healthy. That child is being raised by a grandma or grandfather who has underlying health conditions. And that child might not be able to return to school on a right. time basis. You, you might have another child whose parent is or parents are essential workers and they have to be in school every single day. So they have to be they have to be at work every day and the kid has to be in school. Exactly. Yeah. Parents have to be at work, so the child has to be in school. So my son or daughter, who may love to go to school four or five days a week, may not be able to do that because one of their classmates might need to be in school four or five times a week. And my child might only be able to go to school a day a week or two. So speaking of your child, what are your kids experiencing right now? What do they expect to experience? So both my both my kids, one going into college, one in high school, their schools have made the decision that um, it is not safe to have in-person teaching. So they're both going to start in a virtual environment. Um, it is not ideal. Um, it is where we are as a country. Um, I think it is the right decision to make. And what we do this month in August will determine what we can do in September. And if, if we decide as a country that school is more important than bars, if we decide that it's more important to- Wait a, wait a minute. School is more important than bars? <laughs> I'm being ironic, everybody. We haven't, you know, we have not been willing to make the kinds of basic, you know, sacrifices. It's so interesting. We talk about, you know, sacrifices or whatever. You think about people, Bill, who would tend to risk their lives to go to war to save us. All we're asking people to do is to wear a mask, is to stay socially distant. That's not asking for heroic behavior. If all of us now have a chance to save 30, 40, 50,000 lives over the next couple of months, if we do the right thing, boys, you know, sign, sign me up for that. And I just hope people understand if we want to give kids a chance to have the full kind of education they need in person, to your point, in a physical school, have all their you know, social emotional needs met at this school, then we have to make some tiny, tiny sacrifices to create amazingly huge opportunities for our nation's 50 million children. We'll be back right after this. Some people like to deep clean every Saturday morning. I prefer to spend a few minutes every day keeping things fresh with Lysol. Lysol's brand new day toilet bowl cleaner disinfects both the toilet brush and bowl, killing 99.9% .9 of viruses and bacteria with a fragrance that feels like a tropical getaway for your senses. <sighs> Don't just clean, Lysol clean. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Do you have an opinion about the quality of virtual education? I think it's very mixed. Um, it is not ideal. You see, a It very, depends on the kid, is my experience. It depends on the kid. It depends on the teacher's skills. And so um, you know, everyone's learning you know, fast how to do this better. I think it, you know, prior to this pandemic, I always said blended learning is the best kind of learning possible, a great teacher coupled with a great technology. Um, that can Tell us, what, what do you mean by blended learning? So I, I think the idea that we should just be learning in a physical school five days a week, six hours a day or whatever, that's obsolete. And I want children, whether it's in inner city Chicago or in you know, Appalachia or a Native American reservation, I want kids to learn anything they want, anytime, anywhere. Find their passion, find their genius, find what they love to do and run with that. And so we have to make access to technology, access to, to Wi-Fi, um, we have to make that as ubiquitous as, as running water and electricity. So having those chances to continue to learn, not just during a school day, but anytime, couple that with great teachers, great principals, that is always going to be the best learning environment. Now, do you have any tips for parents? Okay, your kids got to be home. You, you, What do you do? This is a really, really stressful time for parents, and they want to keep their kids safe. They're trying to keep their job going. They're trying to go back to work. They're trying to feed their family. And it, it's just, I, I feel so much for parents now who have such a heightened level of anxiety. So I would just say a couple things. Um, if your child is largely learning at home, whether it's full-time, virtual, or in a hybrid situation, um, keep talking to your child. Keep working through you know, what's working, what's not staying engaged. Sometimes parents can be a little bit intimidated by the technology or not understand what's going on. But you, you know, we can still continue to have conversations. Where things aren't clear, we have to reach out to teachers and have those conversations. I'll push again. I want students to continue to find their own passion and find their interest. Um, the internet, obviously, is an amazing way to do that. And then I think where students are really worried about is Bill, the students that have fallen behind four, five, six, eight months, you know, between March and, and now um, because of all the, the learning loss. We have to make sure that we, uh, as a nation, I would love to have a massive tutoring program be that virtually or in person, for those students that have fallen behind to help them catch up. And, you know, again, we need a national investment in, in our schools, in public education. Um, that should be a, a big piece, but just a piece of that investment. And so far, our unwillingness to do that really worries me. To your point, some kids are going to be flying. Some kids are probably further ahead because of this, but most kids are not going to be. And the reality is we have a whole set of kids that have fallen significantly behind. Um, I don't want to have a lost generation. You can't afford that. So we have to keep accelerating. Those kids are doing well. We have to help those kids that are behind catch up. We have to work with their parents to answer your question um, to help them move to a better place. Do you see any upside to all this? Yeah, I, I don't want to even call them silver linings because it, it is just beyond infuriating that this is the spot that we are in. We should not be here. We should not have oh, man. people dead. We have lost friends. We should not have this many people sick. We should not be sacrificed on kids' education. So for me, it's not a silver lining. But given, again, a man-made catastrophe, what can we hope? Um, I'll say it again. 
I hope our kids see their common humanity and develop a sense of empathy um, that it will be profound and last the rest of their lives. Um, I hope they understand our interconnectedness. Um, I hope they become not just independent, but flexible and able to solve problems. Um, I hope we have a lot more scientists to follow in your shoes and young people who understand the importance of science and, and public health. And if that happens, I hope we have a, young, a generation of young people who will always vote and understand this is not about left and right, but this is about good government versus bad government. And good leadership saves lives and bad leadership, unfortunately, literally costs lives. So if that happens, if that's a big if over the next 20, 30, 40 years, um, I still wish, I definitely wish we hadn't gone through this, but some good things could, can, emerge, can emerge from it. Do you have specific things you'd recommend to schools? Keep the desks apart, wear masks, uh, hand cleaner on every wall, you know, a, a dispenser on every wall. And and what about the ventilation in an old school building? Yeah, that's that's all, you know, real issues. And again, the federal government should should invest 200 250 billion dollars in all of these things, including upgrading ventilation. I can promise you that in disadvantaged communities where there's a good heating where there's a good air conditioning or any air conditioning, I bet you the ventilation isn't very good either. So again, the massive inequities across the country are coming to bear here. But I just want people to understand that we're asking schools and school districts to do something that none of us across the country have done yet. We're asking them to be public health officials, to do testing, to do contract tracing at school. We're asking them to keep buildings clean and sanitized in ways that they've never done before. We're asking them to rethink transportation. We're asking them to think about mental and physical health in different ways. Um, and yes, we're asking them to also educate on top of that. And you think about the level of complexity that we're just asking 15,000 school superintendents across the country and 100,000 principals to think about, again, without clear national guidance, without a national testing program and contact tracing. Um, they are working so hard. They are so smart. But it breaks my heart we're asking them to do things that the rest of the country hasn't begun to do at that level of detail and complexity. So these are school superintendents coordinate with each other just by community. They form a consortium. They get a list or I don't know what they do. They, they find each other. Yes. But still, they are under political pressure from their school boards, their governors, their practices in their state. And so they, there's a limited amount that they can do. I see that now. Let me ask you this big fundamental question. Okay, it's been said that kids need to go back to school for their mental health. And that is as important. In fact, in many cases, the claim, the claim is that it outweighs the danger of bringing coronavirus home. Do you have an opinion about that? Yeah, I think that's, that's just ludicrous and more importantly is dangerous so let me be clear we ludicrous and dangerous no tell us how you really feel <laughs> well no this is so it's so serious I, and i wish i could joke about it but i can't so going back again till march when we started on the food distribution you had a number of districts pivot very very quickly to telehealth and you had a series of kids that were already struggling with you know with mental health issues and stress and trauma and um, then you have a whole set of kids whose families were basically okay, but mom or dad or both lost their jobs. They were living paycheck to paycheck. And now their whole world has been you know, upended. And what you've seen is people move to teachers, social workers, counselors, psychologists, literally reaching out on a daily basis 
to kids uh, via telehealth. As you talked about, our, our kids are they've grown up with phones, and it's not ideal, but they've been doing that from the start. And sometimes that's actually a better way for kids. They feel more comfortable. So that take yes, we have to let's you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We have to feed kids. We've talked about that. We have to take care of their social and emotional health. Um, we can do that virtually. It may not be ideal, but we can't do that physically and then endanger their actual physical health and endanger their parents. That doesn't make sense. And so let's bring them back when it is safe to do so from a physical health standpoint. But um, we are delivering, school districts are delivering telehealth in a way that is that's extraordinary right now. And they've been doing that all summer. So no one's giving up on that. No one underestimates the importance. Again, the food, social, emotional health, physical health. And if, Bill, that's the foundation. If that foundation is strong, then let's talk about bringing kids back to physical school. But if that foundation, you know, and, and, and better education, but that foundation isn't strong, then we can't talk about algebra, trig, and biology, and advanced, advanced calculus, and all those things we want to talk about. Those are the tickets to entry. That's the foundation to get to the academic part. So the, you're frustrated. Everybody's frustrated. Parents, teachers, educators are frustrated. I imagine officials in the federal government are frustrated. Uh, but is there something, are there concrete things that people can do? And you can say, no, it's hopeless, but you might have some good ideas. No, I, I'm always hopeful. So let me just start. The best thing we can do to allow our children to return to a physical school is to beat down this virus in our communities. Where you're seeing rates going down, we see positive tests going down, that opens the door to a physical school. So every single one of us, every single day, has a series of choices to make. Do we wear a mask outside or not? Do we maintain physical distancing or not? Do we stay out of bars and indoor restaurants or not? Um, those are choices we can make. There's a recent study that came out of John Hopkins, John Hopkins that talked about if we don't do things, how many more people will die over the next three or four months? That's um, what we obsess over here at Coronavirus Edition. Oh, so, man. But, but think about, that's the scary part, but think of the opportunity all of us have, Bill, to save lives. We can do that together right now. So that's, um, I am always hopeful. I am not just frustrated. I am furious. We have not done what we need to do to this point. But what if we made August the month where we actually step up? so that we can have a safer September and a safer October and a better November and really get a, you know, beat this thing down and allow more and more of our kids over time to return to a physical school. So I always have hope. I know what's possible. This isn't rocket science. This is discipline and commitment. And again, making some small sacrifices. And I desperately hope that collectively we're willing to do that for ourselves, for our families, and for our nation's children. So we say all the time, if you want things to go back to normal, wear a mask, maintain physical distance for crying out loud. Do you want to go? We all want to get back. What would you be doing right now in a normal year? Uh, well, my, the, my real my real job is I'm laser focused on reducing gun violence here in Chicago, Bill. So that's what I've been doing for almost four years and working on the south and west sides with a young man most at risk of shooting being shot. And so that's my, my real job. That's my day job. That's my, my passion. And uh, we have a lot of hard work ahead of us. We have some just extraordinary men that we're, we're working with. Um, I, like many other people, I've tried to step up on, on this issue due to the leadership vacuum in D.C. So, you know, doing as much as I can to try and just bring some, some, some thoughtfulness, you know, again, get people working together, sharing ideas, sharing best practices, 
and just trying to step into that leadership void. So we're, we're all trying to do you know, more, and I don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. Is there a connection between gun violence and the coronavirus? Well, what I say, what I tell people is that we're working on three pandemics or three public health crises. Um, we're dealing with systemic racism, which is, is not you know, new or current, you know, it's 400 years old. Um, we're now dealing with a pandemic and we're dealing with uh, gun violence. This is a public health crisis. And these things, all three, unfortunately, most intersect exactly where we work. We work in the communities that are the most segregated. Um, they were socially distanced before that was a term. We're working in communities with the least access to uh, good health care. Um, we're working in the communities that have been redlined, um, where there isn't access to capital. Um, we're working in the communities where there are food deserts and not access to good food. And when all those things, the absence of all those things does what? I always say people are going to eat. They're going to have a roof over their head and they're going to feed their kids. And if you don't have a chance to do those things in mainstream society, you're going to do that, unfortunately, in the street economy. And that too often in places like Chicago here, that leads to the gun violence. So the absence of our commitment to equality, <laughs> to equity, um, our lack of uh, lack of seriousness about investing in these communities, and in fact, quite the opposite, the very intentional disinvestment, um, we have created this problem. Again, this is another, this is a man-made disaster. And we are working our way out of it by trying to flip all of that on its head. We've had lots and lots of guys go back to high school and get the high school diploma. We've set a guy starting college now, which is amazing. We train with hard and soft skills. We have an amazing clinical team that works with guys. Uh, What's a hard and a soft skill? Uh, so, it, so we're trying to help guys move from the street economy um, to the legal economy. And many of those skills are transferable. Um, our guys know customer service. <laughs> They, they, know, they know supply chains. Um, they know how to take care of people. Um, but there's a series of things. How do you build a resume? Um, how do you look someone in the eye and shake hands? Um, how do you handle a Zoom meeting? Um, how do you work for somebody when you've basically been self-employed you know, or, or working you know, work in the street economy? And so um, we've had a number of guys transition from that to the legal economy. We have a couple of guys working in law firms now, which is amazing. One of our guys works in Deloitte. We have guys doing culinary and hospitality and manufacturing and construction, you, sort of, you name it, lots of different skills. But it's just trying to provide a path that didn't exist before. And lots of people say, oh, it's so great you're giving guys a second chance. I really reject that. I think in many of our guys' cases, it's a first chance. It's a first chance. I can tell where you're going with that. Yeah, wow. Speaking of education and skepticism of the man or uh, government directives, is there resistance to wearing masks in those communities? There's resistance to social distancing and wearing masks, unfortunately, in virtually every community across the country. And the communities that I work are no different. Um, it is a challenge. Part of what we do is we hand out masks. We hand out PPE. Our outreach teams are, have become health educators. We sort of help cross-train cross, uh, train them. So, yes, uh, at the start of this, there was real skepticism. Was this a hoax? You know, was this... Could black people you know, catch this or not? And we still battle with those, those, those myths. And we've, we've come a long way. Because you look across the country, whether it's you know, white folks or black folks or whoever, Latino, far too many people today, you know, months into this thing, uh, still don't understand you know, how critically important this is. And the communities in which we work um, aren't immune to that, uh, that cynicism and that misinformation. 
So, uh, you know, I say all the time, if you want people to recycle water bottles, for example, you get their kids excited about recycling, and then they just hassle their parents till the parents recycle. And so is the same true of mask wearing? Can we get kids excited about wearing masks? Yeah, I mean, if you look again, when communities where I work, you see lots of three and four and five year olds running around masks. It's a little bit cool and it's a little bit fun. And obviously, you know, parents had to start with that, but our, our kids are doing it. Again, just this is just totally, you know, anecdotes on the street. Our kids are doing this as well or better than, than we as adults. And so, yes, our kids can absolutely continue to lead us um, to where we need to go. And with a huge sense of a huge sense of urgency, if you recycle or not. That's not a life and death decision that day. It has huge implications for the planet. Um, these decisions on a daily basis have huge life and death implications. All right, here you go. If you were king of the forest, what would you do? What I would have done in March or April was to just shut the country down for a month and just shut it down. And Dr. Fauci said it the other day, we sort of semi-shut a little bit down. And other nations shut down 95% of what they did. And had we been willing to absorb some, 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 some uh, I don't even call it pain, just some, some, some struggle, some, some disappointment, whatever, um, for a short amount of time, we would be walking around in a very different place today. And we wouldn't be having this conversation about whether kids go back to school. So our unwillingness was like we saw this tidal wave, the tsunami coming to our country, and we just stood there and just let it wash over us. All right, well, here we are now, though. What would you do now if you were in charge? Yeah, I, I would do the same thing. What if we shut down? Shut it down for a month. For four weeks and beat it down, do school virtually, which is what we're going to do mostly anyway. We have more and more cases you know, every single day. And until those numbers start to go down in a significant way, um, we're all at risk. Everything's at risk. Everything's in jeopardy. And so, yeah, we should have done it four months ago, but... What if we did that for August? What if we shut it down now? What would that mean for our quality of life in September and October and November? I would so happily take a little bit of short-term pain for everybody's health and safety um, and a lot more freedom uh, and flexibility going forward. There you go. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for taking the time. Our guest today has been none other than Arnie Duncan. He was Secretary of Education under President Obama and the CEO of the Chicago Public Schools. He currently works at the Emerson Collective working for social change. So everybody, if you'd like to participate, and I hope you do, leave us a voicemail with your questions. The number is 201-472-0785. You can also write in at askbillnye.com. Please especially send us questions for upcoming episodes. We've got... Anissa Ramirez on the science of materials and how inventions have shaped humanity, and Kim Binstead on artificial intelligence and long-duration space exploration. There are different topics from the pandemic, but this is a pandemic. Everybody, we are all in this together. And during this pandemic, perhaps now more than ever, science rules. So if you like Science Rules, Coronavirus Edition, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show. We find out what you want to hear. So thank you. Science Rules, Coronavirus Edition is produced by Harry Huggins and Corey S. Powell. 
Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is Louise Fleming, who also mixed this episode. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Special thanks to Casey Halford. And Chris Bannon is the chief content officer at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, as I mentioned a few moments ago, science rules. Now, three more things. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. Keep social distance, keep social distance, keep social distance. Let's beat this pandemic down so we can get back to normal. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.